0: I love that we've been singing so much about the Holy Spirit this morning, because I'm actually talking about the Holy Spirit a bunch this morning, so it's going to be good. And we'll jump right here, we'll jump here into it. Uh, good morning everyone, those of you who have joined us online today, we want to say good morning to you, welcome if you're visiting with us here for the first time, we welcome you as well. And those of you who are regulars, we welcome you, we love all of you, alright? Alright? So this morning, the passage we're looking at for today comes from Acts chapter 11. And uh, this morning, I will be asking Torg to help us with the reading of the Scripture. And so, uh, Torg, as you make your way up, if you can just grab the mic from over there and we'll get started here. Let's open with a word of prayer before we get into the reading and message today. Father, we thank you for your word, God. And Lord, I ask that as we listen, may your words be inscribed inwardly, God, on our hearts. As we receive your word, God, may our hearts be filled with love and reverence for you. Cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, God. We thank you. All these things I ask in your name. Amen. And you can come this way, Tor, and lead us in that scripture. Acts chapter 11, we'll read from verses 1 to 18.
1: Sound like God now? Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah, so New Testament writers, when they talk about non-Jewish people, they either Greeks or Gentiles is the word they use. Just thought I'd let you know. Okay, Acts eleven, the Acts of the Apostles. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter began and explained everything to them, precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Job praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice calling to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He's referring to the Jewish Old Testament laws of eating um, clean foods only. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up into heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Uh, These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then. God has granted even to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Thank you. you can just hold on to it and
0: we'll call last week we looked at Cornelius' conversion in Acts chapter ten. And this news about his conversion spread quickly, and those in Jerusalem heard of the Gentiles' reception of the Word. We just read it in Acts 11.1. 1. But Peter's actions, as we just read, were soon criticized by some of the Jewish Christians. As noted last week, there are two accounts of Cornelius' conversion. There is Luke's description given as it transpired, which we looked at last week, and then there is Peter's description when he is called to defend his actions. Now, this story about Peter's mission to the Gentiles continues the account that began in chapter 10, and it repeats in greater detail the content of Peter's vision that was already mentioned. It is a remarkable story because it treats Rather lightly, a dispute that was widespread in the New Testament church, being the dispute over conditions to be laid upon Gentile converts to the faith. The apostles and disciples of Jesus, who were the earliest Christians, were originally Jews, and some of them, at least, continued to obey some of the stipulations of Jewish law. For example, Peter, in our text, had not before eaten any animals that were listed in the Torah as unclean. In addition, these early Jewish Christians were circumcised according to Jewish law. And as Gentiles began coming into the early church, the question therefore arose as to whether they too had to be circumcised and follow table laws. To the Apostle Paul he was quite sure that following the Jewish law was no longer incumbent upon any Christians because when Christians tried to follow the law, they were depending upon themselves, whereas salvation depended entirely on faith in God's work in Jesus Christ. Thus, Paul's whole letter to the church at Galatia strongly condemns those who insist on the necessity of keeping Judaism laws. Galatians 1.9 says, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that which you accepted, Paul writes, let them be under God's curse. And Paul's letter to the Romans emphasizes that Jews have no advantage over Gentiles. In Acts 15, however, as we'll see here in a few weeks, a circumcision party led by James insists that Gentile Christians follow Jewish dietary restrictions. A decision with which Peter and Barnabas later agreed, infuriating Paul. You can find that in Galatians two, eleven to fourteen. That's just for reference. But in our text for this morning, Peter has not yet given in to the circumcision party. And he has allowed Gentiles into the table fellowship of the church. And is probably referring here to the Lord's Supper. Additionally, he has baptized uncircumcised Gentiles into the faith. And the Jews, who are members of the circumcision party in Jerusalem, consequently want Peter to explain his actions. Anyone call you to explain your actions before? This is what they were doing. This is exactly what they were doing. And so at this point... Peter repeats the account of the vision that he has received from God and he testifies that God has given the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles who were then baptized. Therefore, Peter says in verse 17, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And I applaud Peter's actions because... We don't have many requirements for joining the church these days, do we? Or do we? Hmm? Do we? In fact, sometimes I wonder if Jesus' earthly ministry, if it were presently in our time, I wonder if we'd probably have a hard time accepting Jesus like the Pharisees did. I mean, with whom did he associate with? Well, with all those lawbreakers and social subversives. That's who he associated with. And considering the past couple of years that we've lived through, I think that some believers too might have probably wanted to crucify him for the offense that he was. Therefore, Peter's statement is a good corrective for us. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And I've been asking myself this question this week. Who am I? God, you see, chooses people whom we would never choose. He always, he's always surprising in that way. He don't go by the rules of politically correct or the socially acceptable. He singles out that strung out person or that confessed criminal in jail. He touches the life of a struggling single mother or father or the heart of a timid middle-aged spinster and he pours out his Holy Spirit upon them and cleans them. For His purpose. And they show up at our church door wanting to sit at the Lord's table with us. And we, unless we belong to that circumcision party, receive them as God has already done. For who are we that we can withstand God? Who are we? The membership of the Christian church is all God's doing. Have you noticed that in our reading in the book of Acts? Hmm? It was God who sent his Holy Spirit on the Gentiles and converted them to faith. It was God who changed a Saul into Paul, who converted a Roman centurion named Cornelius, just as he changed that Ethiopian eunuch to whom Philip preached and that multitude on the day of Pentecost. God is at work through His Holy Spirit today, church, multiplying His faithful throughout the world. And that action of God, of which we reenact, is still going on today. God is on the move, advancing toward His kingdom and all, and in all of our difficulties and sufferings. We sang about it this morning. The Holy Spirit comes in and mends us. Hmm? He empowers us. In all of our difficulties and sufferings, we need to keep in mind who we are, that we are part of His plan, but also that we cannot withstand Him. Let me say two more things about those who are converted in the stories of the Acts of the Apostles. First of all, they are converted into the church. Entering the Christian life is not an individualistic occurrence. Rather, all of those early Jewish and Gentile Christians of whom we read about in Acts immediately were incorporated into a fellowship. They are incorporated into a fellowship. No one is ever a Christian all by himself or herself. Rather, they join a company of people and are called to live the Christian life within community. Loving one another, serving one another, and caring for each other. When we become a Christian, we are called to love God, but we're equally called to love our neighbor. And that neighbor, first of all, is sitting right beside you this morning, is living right beside you today, is working right beside you at work. That's your neighbor. As Paul writes, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Second, conversion to the faith and into the church is never an end in itself. God does not send His Holy Spirit to convert us and then that's the total sum of His actions in our lives. No, God converts us to a new way of life and we repent and literally turn around. And then we walk in a new direction, guided and strengthened always for God's purposes for us. God has made us Christians in order to do the task for Him in His world. And our conversion is only the beginning of that lifelong task. By the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, He has poured out His Spirit upon us and He has made us His disciples. You are His disciples. We have been converted and baptized. Which reminds me, if you've never been water baptized, come join us on Easter Sunday. That's about a month away from here. It'll be here before you know it. We'll be doing water baptism after church that Sunday. And what a day to celebrate water baptism on Resurrection Sunday. So if that's you, come speak to myself, speak to Pastor Dan, or stop by our welcome table in the back. We'd love to get you signed up for water baptism. And so now, looping back around to today's passage of Scripture, to me, it is striking in its similarity to that which so often transpires in the church today. The human factor is such in churches that God's vision may threaten the current power structure of a church. And at times, all attitudes and all stereotypes may prevent churches from genuinely being open to the not-so-gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, if you remember, Peter is confronted by the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who say to him, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? And Peter, he was only trying to be faithful to the things God was teaching him and to the directions in which God was leading his ministry. And at times in our humanness, I mean, I do this at times, we do this in so many ways. We seek to guard the status quo. And I have to remind myself that I work in his service and for him and not the other way around. It's not the other way around. His thoughts inform my thoughts and my actions. I work in his service and for him. And so do you. Because when we do it the other way around, it limits the work of the Holy Spirit and it impairs our ability to be effective witnesses in the community. Now the good news about all of this in spite of our fears and lack of trust, we cannot completely restrict the Holy Spirit's work in the church. Churches are resilient. The Holy Spirit is resilient. In spite of the human factor, there is also the divine factor at work in the church. The criticism expressed to Peter certainly did not keep the early church from growing. Why will it work today? Hmm? And the same is true for us. God will have God's way in the church today, despite our personal agendas. It is God's purpose that will be fulfilled in the life of God's church. But for us, there are some things we can focus on that will enable our churches to be more effective in that. And today's scripture passage can lead us right to those objectives. The first one is this, seek a vision from God. Everyone who comes to church has their own idea of what church should be or what one wants the church to be. And the challenge then is to derive unity in the church with people who have such divergent views regarding the church's mission. And that unity comes from our relationship to Christ and a desire to please God. So if each one of us genuinely seeks God's purpose for the church, our vision of what the church should be will come from God Himself by allowing God's Spirit to work in our lives and to shape our understanding of what God wants to accomplish through the church. Only then can we work together to to develop one vision for the church, a vision that comes from God Peter's vision, it was a message from God. The message was from God. And the vision of what the church should be and who it should include came from God. It is God alone that will guide the church. It is God alone who is worthy of determining that which is appropriate in the church. And when we partner with His vision, He then accomplishes that through you and I. He wants to partner with you this morning. He wants to use you probably in ways that you've never imagined. There's a story told of a young woman who had two kids. And her son, the two-year-old, locked himself up in the bathroom. And he started climbing on the tub and filling the tub with water. And the mom, she took a screwdriver to the doorknob and took it off. And she could see him and she's telling him, step away from the tub. Don't climb on the counter. Don't get in the medicine cabinet. And in the midst of that, she had this thought. She's like, what if I got an Aria cookie? And so she did. And she held it up for him to see through the hole. And he opened the door just like that. My point in this is, the boy had the ability to open the door all along. All he needed was the proper motivation. And the same is true of the church today. We have the ability to fulfill Peter's vision of a church that draws all people together in unity, but we must be properly motivated by the Holy Spirit. It will require that we set aside our personal agendas and perceptions. I talked about this last week. And seek God's agenda for the church. If we can do that, then church, there is no limit to what we can accomplish for the good of God's kingdom. Amen? The second objective is this. We must respond to God's leadership. So first we seek His vision, but then when He speaks, we must respond. An intriguing aspect of this scripture passage is the way in which Peter responded to God's leadership. Despite the criticisms he received and any misgivings that he might have had of his own, Peter followed God's leading. Peter went with the three men who came to him from Caesarea because the Spirit told him to do so. And as a result of this faithfulness, Peter witnessed and experienced things he would have otherwise missed had he not obeyed. Ultimately, he recognized that the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles in the same way it had come upon the Jewish Christians. So he asked again, if God gave to them the same gift He gave to us who believe in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So again I say, who are we to stand in the way of God and God's desires for the church? So often our biases prevent us from opening up our lives to the renewing presence of God. We are fearful of changes that might be required. So we close our hearts out of fear of the unknown or a stubborn refusal to grow in new directions. We refuse refuse to risk the vulnerability that is required. If we are truly able to open to God, He would work in us and through us. And the preceding statement I made got me thinking. Because it made me wonder how many blessings we miss out on when we refuse to hear the messages God sends our way. Instead of seeking to determine God's will for our lives, we seek God's approval for what we want to do. We limit God's purpose for us with our lack of our vision and our lack of expectancy about what God can do in us and through us. Don't belittle what the Lord can do in your life. Don't belittle it. Remember what Peter said, Who am I to hinder God? We could ask the same questions of ourselves. Who are we to stand in God's way? When we are truly open to God's leadership, the Christian way of life becomes exciting and unpredictable. It does. As we learn to trust God in God's direction for our lives, we will discover blessings and new meaning for our lives that can far surpass our greatest expectations. That brings me to insight number three. Expect God's blessing. Expect His blessings. We must learn to live with expectancy and hopefulness about what God has planned for us. If we genuinely trust in God's provision, we will be excited about what the future holds. For us... Regardless of the circumstances of our lives, we can look to the future with great anticipation about the things God will teach us and the ways in which God will sustain our every need. I mean, for parents in the room or even grandparents or for those of you who have seen parents raise kids, when a child is raised or growing up in a loving and supporting environment, does that child worry about the future or what the future will bring? No. No. They don't. Their parents provide for all needs, physical, emotional, and social, and they always have. So life is a joyous adventure to be shared with their loved ones. And she and he eagerly anticipates the new experiences that each day will bring. One of the blessings for Peter was seeing the way God brought Cornelius and him together in such a masterful way. He heard Cornelius tell of the angel's appearance to them preparing them for Peter's visit. God had been working in both of their lives, bringing them together. And at the moment that was right, according to God's plan, He did it. Church, when have you experienced God's hand in your life in such a way? I'm sure if we were to ask this morning, you can tell so many stories of His faithfulness in your life. God, unexpected ways. And God's impeccable timing is perfect. It's perfect. Therefore, we must expect the unexpected with God. We too will receive unexpected blessings if we can develop God's vision for the church, if we will respond to God's leadership, and if we will have a high level of expectation regarding what God can do in you and through you regarding what His Spirit can do in you and through you. With these objectives, our experience in the church will be meaningful and fulfilling. And may these words of Paul be your guide. There is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Theologian and author Timothy Dwight wrote these words 200 years ago, yet they continue to resonate in my heart. He writes, I love thy church, O Lord, the house of thine abode, the church our blessed Redeemer saved with His own precious blood. Friends, the local church is God's best hope for humanity. And it continues to have my thoughts and prayers and deepest devotion. I love the church, and I know many of you do too. So let's continue to lean in and respond to God's leadership. Let's take a look here at the remaining verses. toward, would you join us up front and read through to the end of the chapter, verses 19 to 30.
1: Those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul.
0: So before moving forward with the story of Peter, I want to note that most of the disciples were only interested in preaching the gospel to the Jews and Diaspora at that time. But later, after Peter's experience with Cornelius... Other disciples went out specifically seeking Gentile converts. Their ministry was to the Gentiles. This willingness to engage the Gentiles was the result of Peter's testimony. And as a result of this movement, the church in Jerusalem is still skeptical of this response and wants to verify it for themselves. So they send out Barnabas, a devout and learned Jew. Remember, Barnabas was a friend of Saul who introduced him to the church in Jerusalem following Saul's conversion. So in Acts eleven twenty two, we see that no one's directing all that's happening other than the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think that's a great thing. Like, why do we need to send Barnabas to check it out? But they send Barnabas. And Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. And he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And this would be like sending one of our pastors down the road to find out what's going on. And so Barnabas showed up there, and when he saw what the grace of God had done, he said, hey, we need to rein this thing in and stop it. No, church, he was glad. Barnabas wasn't exactly sure what God was doing, but he knew that God was doing something amazing, and he was glad. I know my reaction at times. I can have a tendency at times when I see God doing something outside of the box that I'm not uncomfortable with, To kind of feel skeptical and try to rein it in. And kind of want to box it in. But i got to remind myself, just as Barnabas realized, that if God is working, then I am glad. And He informed my thoughts and my actions. It's not the other way around. And so I need to align with what He is doing. I need to align. Friends, God was building a launching pad for the church to remain not only in Antioch, but to explode both in Antioch and to the surrounding areas on the utmost parts of the earth. I don't know what God has in store for LifeSpring. And it's possible that five years from now, LifeSpring won't look anything like it does today. I mean, it looks different than it did two years ago, you know, than a few months ago. LifeSpring won't look anything like it does today. But I pray that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop today. That the Holy Spirit doesn't stop tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that we see the Holy Spirit work even more powerfully and mightier than He has up to now. Do you want to see that in our congregation? Do you want to see that in your lives, church? Verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And this is so ironic, you know, because if you jump back to verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution. Saul started that. But Barnabas goes to get him and brings him back to Antioch. I had mentioned this weeks ago when we looked at the stoning of Stephen. Saul inadvertently launched out these people to start the church in Antioch against his will. And Barnabas, realizing that these people needed shepherding, went to get him. We need to walk alongside them. This is what Barnabas was thinking. We need to walk alongside them and not just leave them. We need to not just say, okay, they believe in Jesus. Great, now let's move on. No, no. We need to walk with them and help them walk in a healthy long-term way and a healthy relationship with Christ to make more disciples and multiply disciples and invite other people to join and follow the way of Jesus. That is where you come in. Invite others to journey along with you. Invite a friend. Easter is around the corner. I mentioned this last Sunday. But we'll be giving you some invite cards. But even from now, I want you to be thinking, who will you invite? I mean, and you don't even have to wait until Easter. You can bring them next Sunday. You can bring them to prayer meeting on Thursday. Like, you can bring them. You don't have to wait until then. Invite someone to join and follow the way. Isn't that incredible? All of these new beginnings got started by ordinary people that the Holy Spirit used in extraordinary ways. Ordinary people unleashed the impact on the entire world. And like them, those ordinary people of today are you and I. They're you and I. And we're living in Milton and Edgewood and Federal Way and Auburn and Graham and maybe even further out in Renton, wherever you're coming from. You take him with you. So, here are things that stand out to me from this portion of the chapter. And I'll also highlight a few myths, maybe one or two. The church, it's not about customs, it's about Christ. See, in the short span of 40 years, the center of the Christian movement moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. At first, the believers continued their custom of preaching to the Jews but a major shift was about to happen some started preaching to the Greeks early and Early believers embraced this change. They adjusted their customs and traditions to the needs of the people. They were first called Christians at Antioch and Lifespring. Even in my short time of being here since 2018, every time our congregation has faced a crossroad, you made a positive decision to move forward instead of stepping back. The key to this church is not the preacher or not the staff, and certainly not the programs. Those things are important, but the key to this congregation, is that the generation after generation of members who have invested in your lives and who are saying yes today, along with the staff, along with its leaders, along with its pastors, who have submitted and surrendered their lives to the Lord by saying yes to His vision and to His Holy Spirit by saying yes when challenged to take bold new steps for the sake of others, have done so. They have done so. See, customs change, but Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. The second one is this. The church is not about crowds. It's about commitment. It's about commitment. Take a group of young men, dress them in tight pants. And now I'm thinking, I don't know why I said tight pants, but I'm going with it. (laughs) Dress them in tight pants. Put a number on their back and a helmet on their head. Put them on a field to fight over a pigskin or anything and crowds of people will come to watch them. (laughs) Let a country music star write a song about some broken-hearted love affair and they can fill an arena of like-minded people who identify with their music. Once Winston Churchill was asked, aren't you inspired to know that every time you make a speech the place is full? Churchill replied, I'm more concerned that if it were the occasion of my hanging, the crowd would be twice as big. You can get a crowd out to anything. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowd wanted to make Him king, but Jesus had a better idea. He told them He was the bread of life, and He had no plans at that time or any time to open a bakery chain of free bread in Galilee. That wasn't His plan. But from that time forward many of his disciples turned back and turned away from him instead of following him and this is the first myth i think that we come across at times that you know no one wants to make a commitment anymore i hear this from time to time and that we are a society of option tenders and we do have those things but look around this room like like really look around look around this room Look around this room. We have people in here who are committed. 30 years ago, a movement started in America to develop church for those who dislike church. After doing careful research, they discovered that certain people didn't like attending church, where people asked your name, where they collected tithes and offerings and exposed you to boring music. So, a whole group of entrepreneurs started churches for the unchurched. People who were encouraged to attend anonymous, anonymously put nothing in the offering plate and listened to a band play upbeat music in an auditorium void of any Christian symbols. A number of these seeker churches have been successful in reaching the unchurched. But one of its leaders once shared the following He says, We don't know what to do with the seekers who become finders. We have no systems to disciple people for a lifetime. We have 18,000 attendees on the weekend and 7,000 members. They didn't have a way to disciple them. Why do I share that? Well, here at Life Spring. We're fine with seekers. And we want to be sensitive to the journey. But man, we also want to get you connected and discipled. And I think, I really do believe this, that we're in a season where people do want to belong again. I think people want to make a commitment. I think people want to be challenged to a better life. So invite your neighbors, invite your friends, and invite the person you don't know. Because the Lord says, Come home, come home, ye who are weary. Come home, come home to a church that will baptize your babies, that will dedicate them, that will celebrate your marriages, that will love on you and do life with you, but also challenge you in your walk with the Lord and walk with you and your children along a faithful journey of discipleship and a church that will not lead you in the door only, but into abundant life with this man called Jesus. See, the truth is, I believe that people want to do what they can to relieve the suffering of the world. When famine struck in Jerusalem, the first thing that the church did at Antioch was, they sent an offering. And LifeSpring, you guys have done that. And we will continue to do those things. Antioch sent an offering. Why? Jesus said this, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. No one stands taller than when they stoop to serve. And talk about serving like, don't get me started. I can have our leaders raise their hand and they'll get you signed up for something to serve here. So if you want to serve, we have kids, we have youth, young adults, outreach, tech and media, care team, security. There are so many ways to serve, church. Let's get connected and do this together for this new season that the Lord is walking us into. Last one is this. Church is not about entertainment. It's about eternity. I mean, do you ever wonder how people down here who are critical of church plan to enjoy worship in heaven? You know? Like, don't get me wrong, church needs to be relevant and pastors need to be sensitive to the struggles of the congregation and music needs to reflect the triumph songs of life. But holiness is more important than hype. It is something different from a momentary high. Holiness is a way of life. It's a condition of the heart that can make you laugh and even cry in the difficult times. But more often it leaves you pondering things in your heart and pushing through in the difficult seasons. The truth is, worship is a foretaste of eternity. What we're doing here, wild church settings, offer us opportunity to grow in community and relationships is not always a romantic as it appears from a distance and soon problems will arise people will say hurtful things i want to tell you that happens here too i will disappoint you and at times I will fail you, but I encourage you to press into community. Don't just observe. Participate. You never know what God might do. Aid should have prevented Abraham and Sarah from having a son. We never know what God might do. Pharaoh should have stopped the Hebrew children from crossing the Red Sea. We never know what God might do. Herod should have killed Jesus in the slaughter of the innocents. We never know what God might do. Early Christians should have perished under the Roman persecution. Instead, they flourished. We you never know what God might do. We have been walking through a pandemic. You never know what God might do here. Church. You never know. So this, I know whatever God wants to do in our little corner of the world, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. How about you? How about you? That is my challenge to you this morning. How about you? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? And I'm going to ask Kyla to just play quietly on keys as we close in prayer, and Pastor Laura will be closing us out here in a bit. But you're not here on accident. You're not here on accident. So we've said a lot of things here. We sang about, as the Holy Spirit is moving over the water. But it moved like that in our lives. Come on. We want to do the things that Jesus did. We want to see those things happen in the midst of our congregation. Some of those things are already happen, happening. Healings. People are being saved. Relationships are being restored. Marriages are being Restored. As you're standing in here, I'd ask, put your hand on your heart. How about you? Even those of you who are tuned in online. Now let us close in prayer. God, we thank You for the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord. That that which You did, it also living and alive in us today, God. And so, Lord, as we going to this new season, this new thing, if You're stirring up in our hearts and here at LifeSpring and in churches around us and in this region, God, and across the world, Lord, I am saying that I want to be a part of it. I am saying that we want to be a part of it. I am saying that LifeSpring wants to be a part of that, God. So would You come, Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing... There are talents that is in here that hasn't been tapped into just yet. There are leaders that are in here that haven't been tapped into just yet. There are people who are yet to be sent. And God, we are ready for that, Lord. We say we are ready. We thank you for your word. In your name I pray.
1: Amen.